the end of John chapter 4, um, this is where we take a shift. And I have to tell you, it, it is a shift. And, and, it, and it was one of those reasons that I love the Gospel of John, because right around the time you get comfortable, uh, he starts to move things around on you. Uh, right around the time that you start to settle in, you start to figure out the light and the dark and the life and the death, and you start to understand a little bit of what's going on. I mean, we had these two characters, Nicodemus, and we had this character, the Samaritan woman, and then now we're in chapter, the end of chapter 4, and it's like he's going to just take you and just go, yeah, 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 but... And we know that the Gospel of John has this very specific mentality. The, the whole point is in chapter 21, and, and the whole point of the Gospel of John is to get you to believe. It's not hidden. It's not secret. It's to get you to believe. And so everything that John does in this entire book is trying, in a way, chronologically, scripturally, but also just illustratively, example-wise, he's bringing witnesses to the stands, and then he's also bringing miracles, signs, and wonders. He's just letting you sit with it. Just letting you hold it and go, what if? What would I do with that if that's true? And I think for a lot of us, when you read these, like, you either treat it like a fairy tale that you're like, oh, that would be so nice if there was a God somewhere that did these things. And then others of us, we've just grown up with it being told so many times that we take it for granted. That you read this stuff and you're like, oh, yeah, 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 I know that. But today, and for the next few weeks, I want to sit with these. I want to sit with them, and I want us to hold them. And I want us to ask real questions about them. And for some of you, that may mean for the first time in a long time, not just brushing it aside, but actually picking it up. And going, I know I've heard this story before, but let's look at it again. And for some of you, you may have ignored it, pretend like there's no way that could actually happen, and I'm asking you to turn back. Just check it out. Just look into it for a moment. What if? The end of John chapter 4, in verse 43, we pick up with this. I have hurt my back. So if today you see me doing some dance moves, it's because it caught, and I'm trying not to go down. So just pray for me in that, right? I guess that means I'm not young anymore. So here we go. After the two days, he left Galilee. Now, pause. That's chronological, so we know that the story before was the good Samar- or the Samaritan woman at the well. He's left Samaria. Here he is two days later. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out uh, that a prophet had no honor in his own country. That is so true, right? Who doesn't love you the most but your mama, right? Or maybe not. <laughs> when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Why? Why would they welcome him? Is he a celebrity? What has happened? They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Pause. What was that? That's the water to wine in chapter 2. This is sign number 2. Signs and wonders. So they they had been at a great wedding, all right? And if you guys remember the amount of wine that was given, it was in gallons, hundreds, Of gallons. So these guys are going, hey, hey, hey. Did you bring one of them? You got another one of them? <laughs> See what I'm saying? They're like, yeah, 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 come on over to my house. Yeah, come on over. I got those jars. 
I got some wine? That, that sounds great. Once more, he visited Cana and Galilee, where he had turned the water to wine. All right? And, and there was a certain Roman official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. That's six miles away. Six miles away. And when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judah, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. And Jesus replied with this, Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. There's that word again. Just keeps popping up. So if you can imagine, just imagine this for a second. Jesus walks into town. He's just gone through the forbidden zone, which is Samaria, which he wasn't supposed to go to. He gets into town, and the first thing that shows up is the frat boys, right? I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the people that have heard about the party. They saw the party, and they want you to come. They want you to come on over, get here. And then this guy walks up, and he, he's walked a long ways. And he shows up, and he's in Jesus' face, and he says, hey, my son is sick. He's going to die. And then Jesus responds with this. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. In that moment, there are two groups of people in the room. One that, that has this like idea that Jesus could just make things great in the moment. Just great. And then there are others that are in immense pain and suffering that are wanting a different kind of sign and wonder. Do you see this? See the contrast here? One, one just wants some wine. One wants healing and hope. So that's where this question comes from. Popped up there for a second. What would it take for you to believe? And this is, this is not just a simple question. It's a, it's a sifting question for you. Because some of you would answer wine in this room. <laughs> right? A little more wine. I'm in. <laughs> All right? Give me some joy, because that's what wine means. It's a symbolism. Joy. It's literal wine, but it really means just joy, celebration, excitement, good things. How many of y'all want some joy in your life? How many of y'all want some good things in your life? This isn't a trick question. Like, you guys are like, I don't know. I thought I wanted joy. Now I'm like, I'm out. I don't want no joy. Or some of you are like, I don't drink wine. I can't say yes. All right? I get it. All right? I get it. We can all get over that. But seriously here, who doesn't want a little bit of joy in their life? Who doesn't want life to taste good and to be good? I do. And I want it for my kids. I'd love to believe in a God that's that way. But life isn't all about joy, is it? Tell you what, I just want my back to stop hurting. <laughs> I don't want joy. I just want, I just want to be able to like stand up straight, tie my own stinking shoelaces. How many of y'all just want some healing? I just, I just want peace. I'll, I'll, I'll get joy eventually, but right now I just want, I just want health. I just want to know it's going to be okay. I want, I want bigger things. I want, I, want my, I want my kid to be okay. 
You feel the tension of that? And that's where this sits, right in the center. So John puts that right there, and it just like, ooh, the whole, the whole group, you know, you're like, ooh, what's going to happen? Here we go. The royal official said, uh, sir, come down before, uh, come down before my child dies. This is really cool. Uh, in the English, it, it really stands out, but it, it's ironic, this wording in the English. Do you, do you see that? Where did Jesus just come down from? Uh, uh, heaven. <laughs> he come down a long ways already. See what I'm saying? He's like, hey, would you just come like six more miles, please? And Jesus has got to look at him like, bro, I've already been a long ways. I'm here. Go, Jesus said. That's why this response is so awesome. Your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and departed. You know how hard that would be as a parent? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, what? I can just leave? While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. His boy was living. I can't help but hear the parallels here of the prodigal son. A far way off, a long way off. The relationship. Anyway, it's just really neat kind of tie-ins there. When he acquired us to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Can you imagine? I, I don't know. I was thinking about this. I had to look it up. There's like sundials. It's probably the only way they have direct. So they're using the sun. They got the shadow. You know, he's six miles away and stuff. But it's, somehow he knows immediately. The father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And so he and his whole household believed. Now, here's the cool thing. Just in case you'd forgotten that there's going to be seven signs, because John has told you there's going to be seven signs, he just puts this little note in here. This was the second sign that Jesus performed after coming to Judah, to Galilee. In case you're keeping track, there's going to be five more. But this is the second. Now, here's the thing. This is such a neat little story, right? Just a little bow, the boom. Oh, my gosh, there's, we can believe, and yes, we can believe in both ways, and this is so cool. But, you guys, I was going to skip over this and go straight to chapter 5 because I'm telling you, the next story has got me just captured. I was going for it, but I got this team group on Thursday morning. They're like, you can't skip this. I was like, oh, okay. And we started digging in, and it, it was like, you know one of those onions from Outback Steakhouse? You know what I'm talking about, the fried ones? That's what it felt like. It was just like this thing just bloomed and fried right in front of me. I was like, this is delicious. We got to talk about this the whole weekend. That's what we got to do. You know what I'm talking about, this fancy ranch. It's delicious. You don't even eat the steak that you order because you ate the whole stinking onion bloom. You guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> delicious. So here's what I want to set up, why this is so important, why we got to pause here, why we cannot skip forward. Where's the sign and the wonder in this? Have you thought about this? Where's the sign and the wonder? Because there are some, there's some good candidates in here. Let, let me give you the first one that you probably didn't even realize. Uh, it's the royal official coming to Jesus at all. Uh, there's a puppet king at the time named Herod, and he's kind of like the guy that the Romans have put in charge so that the, you know, the, the Jewish people are happy. Think of it, 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 this is like a really bad version, but it's still similar. It's like, it's like the king and the queen of England right now. 
You're like, what do they do? What do they really do? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. You know, like the, there's a government and then there's this, Rome, and then there's Herod. And so this is one of the officials that is with Herod, but th- they're like in power, but kind of. But they're very closely tied to the Jewish side of things. And I'll just tell you this right now, Capernaum is not, is not close to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is where the temple is. And the temple is where God dwells. Everything this man has been taught, everything he's been told, everything that lines up that he has heard from great-grandparents to current has told him that if you need healing, you go to God. And God is in Jerusalem. Why in the world is he in front of Jesus then? And, and I'll just tell you this right now. This was against what I guarantee his friends and his family was telling him. Everybody that in his life, he'd grown up with it, and then his son gets sick, and it's the moment, and guess where he's like, hey, there's this guy that turns some water to wine, and I'm going to go talk to him. I, I can't even imagine looking at my wife in the eyes and going, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not going to the church. I'm going to the circus. Uh, I'm not going to go there. I, I'm going to where I've heard this guy did something crazy. Do you, do you see what's going on here? This is, this is incredible. This is crazy. And really what it is, is it's showing that this guy is willing to risk everything to save his son. Everything. Reputation, position, family, friends, I don't care. I'm going to save my son. And this is the only person that I've heard has a chance of doing something that I need right now. And I will travel, I will go, I will do what it takes to save my boy. Even humble myself in front of a Galilean and ask for help. Seems like a pretty big sign and a wonder to me that he's even there. He's just one of the candidates, though. How about the healing of the boy? That's a good one, right? I mean, I'd love to have that Mary Poppins effect. You know what I mean? Just done. Good. I had a garage over Labor Day. I would have loved to have that. Just clean. Good. But that's what seems to happen here, right? It's just one conversation, one ask. And, and, and Jesus doesn't even have to go there. He just looks at this man, immediately identifies his son, and then just goes, yeah, he's good. He's good. There is so much in this, in the sense that God is closer than you think. There is so much in this that what you see is overwhelming and that you could never change, that will conquer your life, is in the snap of a finger removed by the power of Jesus. There is so much in this that that gives me pause to say that the innocence and the brokenness in, in the most unlikely of people, the people that we would look at and go, how could they be the ones that Jesus goes, I got this. I'll take care of it. It's incredible. 
You know, what's even crazier is that the faith of the father is what gets the healing for the son. Can you imagine that dad going back to that boy and going, hey, 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 everybody thought I was crazy. <laughs> oh, man, your mom was mad, but your daddy loves you. And there's a man named Jesus just six miles away that knew you before I said your name, and he healed you. Ooh, isn't that good? Can you imagine that story? You're like, that kid's like 20 He's like, Dad? He's like, Jesus ain't here right now, man. We're going to have to pray. <laughs> we got to have to pray because we can't go find him. He's, he's alive, but he ain't here again. So, but that story would echo, wouldn't it? Can you imagine that boy praying for his boy? He'd pray different, wouldn't he? I know it could happen. I've seen it. It happened to me. I mean, that's a good candidate in my mind. Pretty good one. But I don't think that's the biggest one. The whole household believed. See, we're talking about one person getting healed, but I'm talking about all the aunts and uncles and neighbors, all the people that probably looked at that man as he walked out of town and walked towards the wrong direction. <laughs> And everybody around that was looking at that guy going, what are you doing? And he came back and his servants met him. They met him. And then he's got this story. He's like, look, the moment you said that favor left, that was the moment this guy said it was done. And then he comes back with that story. You know how countercultural this is? They're one house in one place. And the light and life of Jesus comes into a small boy and it changes everything. What was one little jar of wine to a father received healing to a whole house. What was momentary joy of sickness being relieved is eternal life received by a household. Boom, right? It makes sense why Jesus said, hey, you're going to see these signs and wonders, but you're not going to believe until you see them. Because it's not about what's going on in that little frail body. It's about believing something outside of yourself that's bigger than yourself. It's not about symptoms. It's something greater. In fact, this really is about understanding the difference between symptoms and salvation. We are tempted to think that the sign and the wonder is the relieving of the symptoms. But the sign and the wonder here is not the relieving of the symptoms. It's the salvation that is offered. It's the proof of who he really is, that he is no longer constrained to a temple, but he is in being God in front of them, offering them new life. That's a wonder that he would come down to them. Ooh, isn't that cool? Like, did that just feel the onion right there? That just bloomed, y'all. I hope you're eating on that thing. Just like, dang, I've got to think about this for a minute. 
don't worry, you're going to eat some pork later, and it's great, and it's in the back right now, and I, I might have tried it. It's terrible, don't eat it, so I'll eat it tomorrow. See, <laughs> it's going to kill me. If we're dealing with salvation, not symptoms, then we need to learn some lessons. We need to learn some lessons. There's three lessons with big impacts on your life. You ready? Just from this story. First one is this. My, my, my pride must turn to humility. My pride must turn to humility. I, I'm telling you this father is the perfect example of what it means to get to the foot of Jesus. Whatever it takes. My own position, my own reputation, what, a distance, even the fear of being wrong. And then looking at someone and not trying to barter. Not trying to barter, use your platform, use what you've done, but just going, I got nothing that equals life. I, I have nothing that I can put on the other side to make this an equal transaction. I would like life. I have nothing but death to offer. But I would love it if you'd offer it. And I'm telling you, as a parent, if you're in a marriage, if you have friends that you care about, this is the quickest killer of any relationship is pride. Too proud to apologize to your kids. Too proud to humbly ask for advice and forgiveness with your wife or your husband. Too proud to admit you were wrong with a friend. We're studying First and Second Samuel with uh, one of the connect groups here, uh, one of the young adult connect groups, and I was, we were studying this last week, and it blew my mind how the entire book of First and Second Samuel is about pride and humility. Every character in there. It's just boom, boom, boom. Prideful, done. Humil humble, hey, elevated. Prideful, boom. humble, elevated. Crazy. And I think you could do the same thing with your life. We like to joke about it and say the pride comes before the fall. It does. Oh, it does. And when you put yourself up that high, you fall a long ways. Including myself. Preaching to myself. Don't worry. My wife will tell me. Second lesson. My inability gives rooms for God's abundance. My inability gives room for God's abundance. What I cannot do, I cannot see as a limiting factor to my faith, but I must see it as an opportunity for God to show he is abundant. We talk about here the scarcity versus abundance mentality. You have a pie, you only have so much pie, and then someone else is hungry. You can either choose to say, yo, 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 I'm hungry too, and hold it over here, or you can choose to share and to offer your time and your gifts and your emotional energy. You can choose to get outside your discomfort. You can choose to offer that to the people around you, or you can choose to just hold on to it. Say, I don't have enough. I can't fix that. I don't have all the answers. I I'm sorry, I'm over here, and I know that you need some help. Or we could choose to believe that God offers blessings on blessings and that he fulfills needs and that he is more than we could ask or imagine, as Alyssa read earlier. I'm hoping and praying that we are a church that does not hoard, but that we bless 
because in the moments when we need God to show up, that's when he does. But until we do, we would not see it. Can you imagine if this family did not have their son healed? This father, somehow the son is just fine. That whole household is in a different place. But because they needed it. And the father did not have what the son needed. God had a place to prove his abundance. Until you put yourself in a place where you are not all you need, you will never discover God is something you need. I'm telling you. Until you put yourself in a place where you are not all you need and you need something else, and you let God come in, you won't discover that God is capable and abundant to heal and to provide joy. Last one. My fear is a fertile moment for faith. My fear is a fertile moment for faith. And I mean this, imagine that mother on her knees begging God to heal her son. And in that moment, that is when Jesus shows up and he heals that son and the whole house takes root of new life and faith. The whole house does. For us, fear reigns right now so much. Fear reigns. Whether it's safety, whether it's politics, whether it's our schools, whether it's our marriages, our bank accounts, economic projections, or maybe just the dwindling of what it seems to be our moral fiber as a nation. There, there's temptations in that to fear to dry up. But I'll tell you, what could, they could have done is just sat around and watched him die. But that's not what we're called to do. And if we can turn our fear into seeing it as the fertile ground that it is for the opportunity of faith. Levi Lusco says, fear is faith in the enemy. Fear is faith in the enemy. There's two sides to faith. Fear is faith in the other guy. But our faith overcomes fear. Not because circumstances change. I'm not going to lie. I think that this mom still the next day was checking for a fever. You know, like the next day she's like, come here, come here, come here. Okay, good. Right? It's not that her fear was totally gone. It's just that her faith was somewhere new. If you guys, if we can do this, if we can do this, if our pride turns to humility and we choose to believe in God's abundance and we place fear underneath our faith, that is the sign and wonder of Jesus. That humbly under him we have all we need and we no longer fear. Under him we have all we need and we have no longer anything to fear. Just a few verses later in chapter 5, Jesus has one of the largest sections of just dialogue. And it's reflecting on both this story and the story we're going to teach next week. But I wanted to pull a little excerpt out of there. Just so you can see Jesus' heart reflecting on these two things that have happened. And this is what Jesus says. 
talking to the crowds, talking to the people that have seen him do these miracles, these signs and wonders. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear live. I cannot change the circumstances of your life, and I know that for some of you, listen, wine sounds great, but you just want the pain to go away. And the best cup of wine in that father's hand would have meant nothing until his son was healed. And I understand that. But I'm telling you this morning, listen, the sign and wonder of this is that God offers the wine to healed people to faithful, healed people because that is who He is. And wherever you're on your journey, you need to be asking this question. What would it take for you to believe that He could heal you? That He could offer abundance to you? That He is big enough? What would it take for you to trust His overflow, to trust his joy, to trust his way as right? What would it take? And I want you to sit with that. I want you to sit with it. Uh, I, I don't want to give you the answer. I want you to sit with that question. And I don't want you to spit your mom's or your dad's answers. I don't want to spit my answers back out, you know, quote me or quote someone else who's been influential. I don't want you to even run away from it too quickly and just spurt. I want you to sit with this. What would it take for me to really believe that God's big enough for that hurt? What would it take for me really to believe, to change my life, to reflect the things that God is calling to me, that, to, to think that new wine could be enough? What would it take for me to believe? I hope you'll come back next week as we dive into the next person who's asked this very question and has to respond in his own way. And I hope you're continuing to read through John. I've heard such great testimony, you guys, of, of, of you that are reading through the Gospel of John and watching it come to life, watching it unfurl, watching it grow and I'm watching your faith be encouraged. I'm watching you rediscover like a small child something new and fresh and real to get excited and curious. Three chapters a day, you can read the whole book in a week. Why don't you try again this week? Maybe you failed a class a couple times. Maybe you're just trying to take it. Three chapters a day. You could do it. What would it take for you to believe? Maybe you just need to read the book of John. Trust that God's calling to you right where you're at. Pray with me.